Welcome, folks, to Brand of Man Ministries, building one disciple at a time for the cause of Christ. I'm your host, Will Hunsaker, and today we're going to close out chapter 5 of Ephesians. So we're going to do that with verses 22 through 33. Now, this is where Paul's going to shift his narrative just a bit from an appeal to how Christians should conduct themselves, should live out the reality of what Christ has done for them in the church and in the body of believers, loving your neighbor as you would yourself, to a focus on how Christians should conduct themselves within their own families. Now, these first few verses that we're going to get here, they introduce a bit of a spicy topic. Very controversial, has been for many years, so I'm not going to try and fix that today. Remember, we're just introducing thoughts to make you uh, delve deeper into Scripture. But we will make sure we take care of these verses uh, and keep them in the context of Paul's letter, which is the grace of God. This entire epistle is the grace of God. And he has poured out that grace upon his chosen people in Jesus Christ. So let's go right to the text. We're going to start in verse 22, read right through to 33. From the Apostle Paul, wives, subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands. In everything, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Ephesians 5 verses 22 33. Now you can see there that the flow is a parallel between how Christ loves and develops a relationship with the church with how a family conducts themselves. Now, interestingly, Paul encourages Christians here, well, actually in verse 21 from our last episode, to submit to each other. So it was a mutual submission. Then in verse 22 here, he shifts over, as I said, and and instructs wives to submit to their husbands. The context here, though, seems to be that Paul is just continuing a mutual submission, but he's narrowing it down into some detail, how, how, this, how this fleshes out in different ways. The difficulty that 
the Christian church has run into over several several centuries in dealing with some of this text, especially in the Western culture, as uh, women gain greater roles in society. The difficulty seems to be centered around the word head or headship. Wives subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. That seems to be where the difficulty usually ends up. Now, the, before we tackle that, the first thing we want to remember and remind ourselves is that Scripture is divinely inspired and without error. So we want to be careful about plugging in negative thoughts into uh, an apostle's head who is giving us the word of God to be carried down through the ages. So to, so to plug a, a, a misogynistic thought about this into, into Paul's head would not really line up with Scripture as, the word, as being the word of God. So the next thing we want to take from the context is the comparison that Paul makes. This is pretty significant. He says, for the husband, this is verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. So pretty significant comparison here. Now, if we look at that in the negative, okay, so let, let's just read that verse again. So for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. If we look at it in the negative, we see that if the husband is not the head of the wife, then Christ is not the head of the church. You could flip that around because Paul's making a pretty definitive statement. So if we accept that comparison, it keeps us from casually dismissing this text, what a lot of people do. They say, well, that was a cultural issue, or Paul was expressing his uh, superiority over women, the Jewish culture. But looking at that verse, again, in that way, looking at that comparison, using the negative to it, we can see that we don't want to just casually dismiss that. So with this in mind, let's look at that term head. So it's an essential term. Because Paul writes that Christ is the head of the church. So, once again, we can't just dismiss that. He's writing Christ is the head of the church. He is the head of his bride, the church. Thus, he is her savior, believers. So, in this sense, being the head of something implies a significant responsibility for care. In this case, headship does not mean dominance responsibility. So we have to look at the context. He wasn't expressing dominance here. He's expressing a, a very high degree of responsibility. Christ is active in the lives of the church, and so must the husband be active and involved in the life of his wife. It's a mutual submission, just in different ways. It says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, that's a pretty uh, significant point that Paul makes. He tells the wives, hey, submit to your, your husband as the, as the head of the family, just as Christ is the head of the church. But then he tells the husband, he says, hey, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a, a, a pretty, pretty stiff climb. Nowhere in scripture does love 
And in this case, the word is agape. Usually that's how it's used. Nowhere in scripture does the word love emphasize a matter of superiority. Nowhere. On the contrary, it emphasizes sacrifice. And that's what agape means. You may have heard me say that in other episodes. It's a sacrificial love. Its focus is strictly on giving rather than receiving. So that's a a very important note to make here when we talk about uh, Paul's expression of how husbands should love their wives. Now, what is unavoidable is that the term head does indicate authority. We can't get around that. That's what that word means. That's the word Paul used. Now, additionally, the authority appears to be widespread as we read in verse 24. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. That's pretty broad. Now, however, it is in the context of who Christ is. Remember, this is all about God's grace and about what Christ has done. So, who Christ is is the focus. He's one who came not to be served, but to serve. That's Mark 10, right? Verse 45. Christ came not to be served, but to serve. So, when Paul is talking about loving the husband loving their wives, just as the church is subject to Christ, so wives should be subject to, to their husbands. The husband should serve just as Christ came to serve, not to be served. Okay. Paul has just finished telling Christians to speak with each other with psalms and hymns and songs, to submit to one another out of reverent fear of Christ. That was our last episode, 18 through 21 of chapter 5. He merely emphasizes here. So, so Paul's not changing or invalidating God's roles here for concern, uh, concerning the relationship between a husband and wife. He's not changing any of that. He's merely emphasizing the importance of structure and the sacrificial role of authority. That's how Christ viewed authority. Remember, he told his apostles, hey, the, the, the first of you will be last and the last of you will be first. So, Authority has a whole different meaning to God here in the horizontal realm. It means sacrifice. So this brings us to why husbands are given the leadership role. And this is a heavy lift now, and it's to glorify his wife. This is verses 23 through 28. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. We talked about that. Sacrificial love. It's an authoritative position, but it's sacrificial so that he might sanctify her. So Christ sanctifies the church through his sacrifice. Husbands are supposed to do the same thing with their wives. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Husbands are supposed to do that as well, just as Christ did that for the church. Bring the word, God's word. That he might present himself or present to himself the church in all her glory. So you're to glorify your wife just as Christ glorifies the church, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she might be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So this love that Christ has for the church is immense. Christians are highly valued by our Lord. Likewise, wives are to be loved 
and cared for as a reflection of the same love that Christ has for the church. So Paul provides some examples here of how husbands can accomplish this. The word of God is to be present in all things between a husband and wife. A washing of the word. The wife is to be washed continually with the word of God, through which the word progressively sanctifies her and glorifies God. The wife is also glorified as the husband's conduct reflects Christ. Okay, verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's Christ's relationship to the church. Husbands are supposed to emulate that relationship in their wives. Again, this love shared between husband and wife and the structure of their relationship runs parallel to the glorification of the church through Christ. Paul touched on this in his letter to the Colossians. He said, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death to present you before him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That is the relationship between Christ and his church and between a husband and their wives. Now, verse 31. This speaks of how the husband puts the union between him and his wife over any other family relationship. Once again, a good parallel to Christ's relationship with us, the church. This is significant, right? For the same reason I said of the connection between Christ and the church, this emphasis, this emphasis has also been made in Genesis. Genesis 2.24, says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's basically verse 31. It's a quote from Genesis. The relationship between the husband and the wife now takes place over any other horizontal relationship. Just as Christ and the church, that relationship takes precedent over every horizontal relationship and vertical relationship. We're now locked in an eternal union with Christ. Now, Paul's final two verses, chapter five, give the husband the means to fulfill these imperatives, imperatives or commands. He says, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So it's a mutual submission. There is no mention here of power, only sacrifice, specifically the sacrifice of Christ as the example. How else really can we live like Paul just expressed? How can sacrifices be made like he described? especially in this day and age. How can that be done? Only through our union with Christ can these things be accomplished. Otherwise, we will mess this up every time. And when we mess it up, it should remind us that we are still sinners and it should drive us right back to Christ. That's the first use of the law. And these are all imperatives we've been getting. We will not keep them perfectly. And when we don't, it should immediately drive us back to Christ 
to see where this strength to even do these things comes from. And what is Paul talking about when he says the mystery is great? Well, if we examine other instances where Paul has used the word mystery in the book of Ephesians, we see that it refers to a very profound intention of God, God's complete plan for salvation as demonstrated by the connection between Christ and his bride, the church, is reflected in the union of one flesh. So that union that Christ has with his church is reflected in the union of one flesh of a husband and wife. When they came together in union, that is a horizontal reflection of the union between Christ and his church, the Christian marriage between a man and a woman, just like the marriage of Christ and the church is rooted in the grace of God, which is what Paul's whole letter to Ephesians is all about. The Lord who submitted himself to crucifixion on the cross, on our behalf, calls upon husbands and wives within our families to submit to his will. That is the whole point here. His grace was poured out upon us. We submit to him in gratitude for what he's done. Folks, all of these imperatives from Paul, all of them that we have seen in the last two chapters do not lead us to our own glory. They do not allow us to flex our muscles, Christian muscles upon each other. Hey, I'm a better Christian than you. Look at me. They do not lead us to a premier Christian living. Trust me, humanity will completely mess that up if that's what we think. Instead, every imperative in living and conducting ourselves leads us to the cross. Every time we violate one of these seemingly simple instructions, and we will, and we ask ourselves, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just do these simple things? Why can't I be kind and compassionate all the time? Why can't I love my, my wife like Christ loves the church? Why can't I subject myself to my husband's authority? Because we have fallen. That fact alone should drive us directly to the cross. Folks, I will, I will never get tired of saying this. The Christian life is not about what we do but about what has already been done for us in Jesus Christ. The only way we can do anything good is because of him. Thank you for listening. And next up on Open Your Bibles, we'll turn to Ephesians 6 and look at the first nine verses. Now here, Paul will emphasize the significance of God's grace within the home. Grace and peace to you all. And remember, the Bible cannot mean anything different today than it did back then.